You may be seated this morning. We're going into our time of communion, celebrating the Lord's table. So if you didn't pick up the elements at the table back there, I'd encourage you to go ahead and go and pick those up now. We're getting better at that song. It's hard. They did a great job this morning. That's a, it's a, it's easy song to sing when you're on, when you listen to radio and you're singing along, you're like, you got it. And then we come here and it's like, ah, it's hard. It's just so hard. Uh, we're really pressing Meg's abilities too up there. It's, it's got that weird offbeat thing going on and she, she's nailing it. She's doing a good job. Communion is a great opportunity for us just to gather one body. All over the, uh, the United States today, at least, on a Sunday morning, uh, there's churches that are celebrating communion. We all like our habits, and a lot of churches go to the first Sunday of every month. And so uh, we, we use that uh, as a kind of a making it a habit for us at Oakwood. Once a month, we come together. The Bible gives us instructions in 1 Corinthians 11. There's actually some warnings that come. It says there, do not uh, enter into this lightly or unadvisedly, uh, but reverently and in the fear of God. And so we don't come to this table as a celebration like party, woohoo. No, it's, it's a celebration, but it's a somber celebration because the cost was high. Uh, for our freedom and for our uh, spiritual life, the cost was high. God sent his son to stand in your place and my place. Uh, sin has consequences. And one of those started in the beginning in Genesis when Adam and Eve decided to disobey God and sin entered this world. Death immediately followed. No, they didn't die immediately, but they began to die because everything is slowly decaying. That's why in this world, we see things like what happened in Florida. We've got hurricanes, wildfires, and other things that come upon us. Why? This world's in a steady sense of decay. You can go as green as you want to, and we can try to fix the ozone. We can do the best we can, but I'm here to tell you God knows that this earth will come to an end. It will not be here forever. Because of that, we know the answer for the sin problem. God sent His Son, Jesus. That cost was high for you and me. It cost Him His life so that you might have life. That's why on the night before He was betrayed, we have this story in 1 Corinthians 11. Let me read the first part. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus... On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. Go ahead and take that bread out of that little compartment there and hold it in your hand. Such a little morsel, but it's a big reminder. The Bible said when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that Jesus went all the way to the cross and willingly laid down his life for us. His body was broken there. And we use this bread to remember that, that it took a sacrifice. But it wasn't just any sacrifice. The Bible says he did this for me and he did it for you today. So God, I come and I pray that we would honor you with our bodies and thank you for what you've done for us. He said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Partake of the bread.
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Father, we thank you for this representation of the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, this juice isn't much in quantity, but Father, we know that the blood shed on the cross was very mighty. It poured down and covered all sins, past, present, sins yet to come. And God, I thank you for that forgiveness. God, I pray that each and every person in this room or watching us online, that they know that they've had their sins forgiven. It's not enough, Father, that you sent your son and that he willingly died on the cross and that he rose again. But Father, we're required to put our faith in you. The requirement is to believe. So Father, I pray that if anyone here or listening today believes and has never asked you to forgive them their sins, they would take the opportunity right now. No magical prayer, but just an honest, sincere talk with you, God. God, forgive me of my sin and come into my life as Savior and Lord. And Father, we hold this cup in our hands, thankful for Jesus who said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do it as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Partake. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen and amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Nahum chapter 3. I'll meet you in about verse 14 in just a little bit. Nahum chapter 3, 14 through 19 this morning. We're wrapping up Nahum. We're done with that book. Uh, The elders met this past week and I said, hey, I'm going away next weekend. Next Sunday after the service is done, I'm taking off. I hide up north in a cabin for a few days to to write um, the plan out for next year's sermon series. So you can be in prayer for that as a church. If you ever stop and pray for your pastor, that's what I'll be doing early next week is laying out every sermon for the 52 weeks of next year. And I did ask them, can I take an easier book next year? I think we'll take something like Ephesians. Don't you think it'd be nice just to take a good a New Testament book and dive in. We've been doing some hard work here at Oakwood, studying through Revelation, studying through the book of Nahum. We've done some good work. Romans is very deep and very heady. Uh, we're still in that project. We'll be there for quite a while. But I'm excited. I hope you will be praying as well as I go and prepare for next year. This morning's big idea in the last part of this, this book of judgment, this book of God's wrath, is God will humble the heart of pride. If anything, what we learn through reading through this book is that God will judge sin. And we come to this last chapter and we have to be reminded that the sin of Sherechanib, the leader of the Assyrians, headquartered in Nineveh, his major error was pride. Pride. And that is going to have a cost. Let me read for you the end of Nahum. Nahum 3, 14 through 19. You can just follow along as I read it. Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your defenses. Work the clay. Tread the mortar. Repair the brick. Then the fire will consume you. The sword will cut you down. They will devour you like a swarm of locusts. Multiply like grasshoppers. Multiply like locusts. You have increased the number of your merchants till they are more numerous than the stars in the sky. But like locusts, they strip the land and fly away. Your guards are like locusts. Your officials like swarms of locusts that settle in the walls on the cold day. 
But when the sun appears, they fly away. And no one knows where they are. King of Assyria, your shepherds, probably a good replacement for that word is rulers, they slumber. Your nobles lie down to rest. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? As the book wraps up and God's judgments becomes apparent on Nineveh and the king of Assyria and the Assyrian army, you can just hear all these foreign lands just... There's no pity for this terrible group. There's no loss, except for for the people themselves of Assyria. Everybody around them is thankful for their demise. The pride and arrogance shown by this nation comes at a great cost. And this morning we're going to walk through this passage real quickly and make a couple of comments. The condition of Nineveh's humbly. Verses 14 and 15 uh, point out very clearly, uh, and I love how it starts using the word swarm. Everybody say swarm. Not shawarma, you can have that for lunch. Oh, that's good stuff. But I'm talking about a swarm, a swarm. Like, I don't know if you're, have you ever been to, um, well, Petoskey at the right time of year when the mayflies are out? I think that happens sometime around May, <laughs> right? Oh, you, you, you'll see a swarm, you know. I mean, my wife and I have been there in the spring. That's usually our anniversary uh, when I remember. And uh, we go there and uh, we've gone to the, the lake shore with a little picnic, you know, to eat. And then you just can't get out of the car. They're everywhere. I actually want to show you this picture here because it, the picture I'm going to show you gives the idea of an enemy swarm. What it might feel like the condition of Nineveh's downfall. It's hard to see on this screen. But though, that's not a rainstorm. That are, these are bugs that come out at night in the summer um, off of Lake Erie. This is Camp Patmos. Camp Patmos is on Kelly's Island in Ohio. One of my favorite places ever to speak. I love that place. You have to take a ferry to get there. There's no bridges to this island. And uh, the bugs just swarm. Now, I put this on there for a reason. It's going to be on America's Funniest Videos tonight. The uh, the director of Camp Patmos put it out this week on Facebook. He just put the picture there, and he said, if you want to see us live, we're on America's Funniest Videos tonight. So you can check this out in a video format, and you'll really see what a swarm is like. The swarm is, it's overwhelming. I mean, you, you just can't get away from it. You got to find some place inside because the swarm comes and it just devastates. That's the condition of Nineveh's humbling. The second thing I see here is the cause of Nineveh's humbling, and that is their pride. Everybody say pride. pride. Oh, Shrekinib, he was prideful and arrogant. Remember, he's the one that told God's prophets, your God isn't going to do anything. Stop lying. Stop lying to your people. Your God will not save you. He was pride and arrogant. He recounted how many nations they've destroyed. And they had gods too. And so Shrekinim is like, who do you think your God is? No one can stand against us. Why? Because they had monetary pride. Too rich to fail. Uh, I guess you could relate that to superpowers today. Uh, but boy, don't we see? Can't we see with our eyes how nations rise and how nations fall? How prideful leaders can get in place and cause the downfall of a nation. 
it happens quickly and it's, it's, it's awful to see what's going to stop Putin. His pride right now is in the way. You ask anybody in the government, they're like, it's a dangerous situation because he is prideful and arrogant. Losing is not an option. He would rather the world burn than to lose. Pride. Monetary pride. We're too rich to fail. How could we lose? By the way, in the back of your mind, you should be putting America on your thought process there because some of our thoughts are the same about where we are and who we are as a country. Too rich to fail. Not only their monetary pride, but their military pride. We're too strong to fail. Shiragadim not only had the world commerce... Um, you notice in the passage there, it talks about their merchants were many. I mean, the commerce going through Assyria, through Nineveh, man, it was, uh, it was too strong to fail, too rich to fail. But yet, we know that the Bible tells us that these other nations are going to come in like a swarm and wipe them out. No military pride is, is too strong. I'm sure Hitler thought nobody was going to overtake him. He was... He had the money, he had the power, right? And yet, prideful leaders bring their nations to ruin. And then I put monolithic, because I needed another M, and don't bug me, it took me, it took me seven hours to find this in the thesaurus. I needed an M word that meant big, large, and that's what monolithic means, big, large. He talks about their people are numerous, and, and they think they're too big to fail. But whenever you pull your britches up and think you're too rich to fail, or you pull your britches up and you think you're too strong to fail. Or you pull your britches up and say, I'm too big to fail. You're walking on dangerous ground. Because pride in the face of God will be humbled. That's exactly what happened to Nineveh, this headquarters of the Assyrian Empire. That pride brought them their downfall. So the consequences of Nineveh's humbling were in verse 19. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news clap their hands. It's permanent loss. Remember how God said it will not happen a second time. When I take you down, it's going to be destroyed and it will not come back. Remember how Nineveh was lost for centuries. They couldn't find the ruins until they finally dug it up and realized, boy, it was devastated by the flooding and then the fire. They burnt the whole thing down. Oh, permanent loss and also no pity. Uh, that's a, to me, it's such a striking verse. Maybe it doesn't strike you like it strikes me. That verse where people clap at your demise. <laughs> oh, that's Nineveh. We've read this whole book of Nahum's warnings and Nahum's delivering of God's judgment is coming. There's a condition, there's a cause, there's a consequence. But I want to turn it to us today. It's so easy for us to read about things in the Bible. And, and by the way, don't we always make ourselves the hero in every story? You know, I, I, I was preaching through Daniel at Barakel, and I realized that every story, I'm, I'm talking about these heroes, and everybody's relating to the heroes. And then I had to rewrite a whole message, because sometimes we're more like the villain in the story than we want to admit. And if the number one sin in Nineveh, and in Shrekinib, the leader, was pride, I think we need to take seriously the sin of pride in our lives too. God will humble the proud. Yes, uh, Shrekinib was an awful leader of a mass army and people, and you might say, I'm not a leader of a mass people. Well, you, you lead yourself, I hope. If you're not leading your own life, then who is, I would ask you. Maybe you're leading your family. Maybe you're leading... At work, I don't know, but 
in the world you exist in, pride can be a terrible thing. And it can be your downfall. Years ago, they used to go around door to door and sell stuff. Anybody remember the good old days when the, what is it, the Fuller Broom people used to come and the Hoover vacuum people, and they'd knock on your door, and they had these door-to-door salesmen, right? And, and I found out, I was reading a story where one salesman was just really good at what he did, and he would sell everywhere he went, and they asked him his technique, what's your technique? And he loved what he said. He said, I always open with the opening line. Let me show you something several of your neighbors said you couldn't afford. Let me show you something that several of your neighbors said you couldn't afford. Sold. I'll show them. Pride. Pride. God wisely designed the human body so that we can neither pat our own backs or kick ourselves too easily. Ever notice that? You know, we, you shouldn't, and you really shouldn't, you know, pat yourself on the back. And you shouldn't kick yourself too hard either. Pride. So I want to take the track I took earlier and explain pride for us today. Pride is simply putting oneself in the place of God. That's one definition. Simply putting oneself in the place of God. It's actually the definition of ego. E-G-O is edging God out. We do that in our lives. Our egos get in the way and we edge God right out of our lives. It's self-sufficiency and it's self-worship. These two things. Self-sufficiency is a refusal to depend on God. And that's, that's strongly an American trait. Rugged individualism. That's what our country is founded on. Rugged individualism. And that's been passed down generation. We applaud those who pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they make it happen. We, we do. We applaud that. And, and there's something good about that, but it can become a detriment when you're pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and forgetting about God completely. Because you can pull your boots all up over your head, but you're not going to get yourself out of hell. You can't do that. You can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps to get out of hell. You, you, you can't. You, at some point, every person has to make a choice. Am I going to depend on God with my life, or am I going to do it myself? And we pat ourselves on the back, even though we weren't designed to do that, when we say, I don't need anybody. I tell you, some of the hardest people to serve... Are, are people that serve others. You ever notice that? I, I remember um, when, when Janella broke her hip. I mean, she's got a lifetime of serving other people. And, and on my first phone call to Janella, she was still in the hospital, in her hospital bed. And I said, now, Janella, you're coming home. And if I need to, I'll come get you. I'll, I'll drive. No, no, I don't need any help. No, no, you, you probably do. But, but Janella, when you get home, there's a bunch of people that are going to want to bring food. I don't need people to be. Yes, you do. Yeah, but you do. And even if you don't think you want it, we're going to bring it anyway. Because that's what we do. Because that's what you did. And Janella led that. She leads that for our church when somebody's sick or has a baby or in need. She organizes our food train, right? We call it the food train, right? And you know who's hardest person to get food to? The person who leads the food train. Because then I, I don't want people to do, go out at all. No, no, we're going to. She graciously realized that it, it wasn't much about what her need was, but our need to love her. <laughs> Sometimes the need to love outweighs the need of lasagna, right? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Have you ever been a recipient? Anybody been a recipient of the food train? Yeah. It's a wonderful thing, but it's too much. 
I mean, I hate to tell you, but a lot of the food gets thrown away because you just can't eat it all. I mean, tray after tray after plate. My, my back went down. I could have fed the Assyrian army. I probably could have fed the whole Assyrian army. When my back went down, y'all brought food all the time. I mean, my son was like, Dad, you've got to be kidding me. Because he'd have to go get the door and let the people in. And I'm standing over the counter like, thank you, put it over here. You know, don't open the fridge or you're going to see 25 other of those same thing. You know, because the need to love was greater than the need for care. It's hard to care for people that are, are usually the ones giving, right? It's hard. It's hard to be dependent on other people. It's definitely hard to depend on God. But we have to put aside our self-sufficiency and our self-worship. Self-worship is a refusal to honor God. I came across this little saying today, or this past week when I was reading about pride. Supreme majesty is what it comes down to. Who is the supreme majesty in your life? Because the supreme majesty uh, is who you depend on, and it's who you give worship to. Is that you in your life? Or is it God? Who do we have in our life who's the supreme majesty? The one who sits above. Think about it. it that's not a given. It's not a given. Honestly, day to day, it's not a given, right? Week to week, it's not a given because things happen in life and we pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and totally edge God out. Pride, anytime we worship anything other than him or depend on anything other than him, pride. So what do we have? We have this video I want you to watch. I'm going to go back and start it again because... It often starts yeah, let's go back and start it again. Can you do it or do I need to do it? I'll do it. There we go. Ready? Nice and loud. Louder. Louder. When we choose to allow pride into our lives, it is built one brick at a time. It often starts small, but each additional thought or action is capable of building a tower dedicated to self. The result is often marvelous, a specimen of achievement, seemingly free from flaw or defect. But this image is built on nothing more than a foundation of self. As it climbs higher, the structure weakens, and as time passes, holes begin to appear, each one a small clue alluding to the facade of the design. Bit by bit it grows, becoming unstable as it is weakened by its own attempt to outbuild its flaws. And then eventually it happens. The weight of the whole system becomes too much to contain and it collapses. Each piece of false glory crumbles to the ground, leaving us right back where we started with an opportunity to build again. Perhaps this time on a stronger foundation. Pride. I wanted to build a human Jenga set, and I realized we had one out back, and then Jimmy told me these are the legs of the stages. I'm like, I thought that was a human Jenga set. It's really not, because it doesn't actually work like that, but you, you get the idea. How many of you played Jenga before? You pull the blocks out, right? I purposely built this so that if I were to move this block that I, tie, I, I spray painted the word pride, if I pull this out, we're going to have a mighty crash. That's why I'm glad the kids aren't sitting here in the... That they're coming in the second service. I'm glad they're going to be gone right now because if I were to pull this out, trust me, this whole thing is leaning on that front block. And if I were to pull it out, it's coming down with a mighty crash. I know you want me to, but I'm going to save it for the second service. 
Pride is a terrible thing to build your life upon. And for many of us, we've had years of good experience in prideful living, just edging God out. And it didn't look that bad. I mean, you were self-sufficient. What's wrong with that? You know, and I'm proud of myself for what I've done. And what's wrong with that? And, and in our world today, we kind of honor pride. You know, we, we want our kids to, to be proud of their heritage and who they are. And there's a lot of good things about pride that we shouldn't be ashamed of. But it sure is a slippery slope. And it's an awful block to build your life upon. So let me walk through these things with you. What's our condition? Our condition at times, excessive self-esteem, conceit, or arrogance. Everybody say excessive. I put that as the key word there because there's nothing wrong with having a good sense of who you are, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But if it becomes excessive, excessive, when does that happen, PD? I don't know. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure the moment it happens. But I'll ask you the question today. How long has it you'd been... For you, since you've been dependent on God through prayer. The Lord's Prayer, if we were to say it every day, we'd be nothing but a liar. Give us this day our daily bread. Is anybody dependent on God to give? Or do you got, anybody got a roast in the oven already? All right. You're hoping he shuts up and get home while it's warm, right? How long has it been since you've said, God, give us this day our daily bread? It's easy not to be dependent on God for anything because we're pretty self-sufficient. And yet, Excessive self-esteem, conceit, and arrogance is our condition. It's a sin of attitude. That's, that's why pride sometimes, sometimes you can see it. And when we see it, we don't like it, right, in other people. Uh, but, but it's mostly a sin of attitude. It's an attitude. That's, so it's inside. A-double-T-I-T-U-D-E. Attitude. Attitude. <laughs> Usually that attitude bo- bubbles up and, and bo- boils out. You can see it in people. It's a sin of the heart. And what does God's word say on pride? I'm going to give you a lot of verses today. Let's read Proverbs 11:2. When pride comes, then disgrace comes, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 21, verse 4. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked produce sin. Proverbs 21:24. The proud and arrogant person, mocker is his name, behaves with insolent fury. The Bible, by the way, has a lot to say about pride. It's one of the topics that it talks about more than just about anything. Pride of the heart. That was Satan's fall, was pride. Satan's fall was he wanted to be God. Adam and Eve, listen to Satan's lie. The lie of, did God really say you shouldn't do that? Who is he to keep this from you? Yeah, who's God to say I can't eat of this tree? Mocker is his name. The consequence. The consequence of pride in our lives, all sin comes with a price. Sin has consequences. Some are natural. Some are eternal. But pride has both natural and supernatural cost. If you're, if you're a person that has excessive pride, excessive, you know, you're going to face natural consequences because people just won't like you. And don't call that suffering for Jesus either. Sometimes you're just disliked because you're a jerk. (laughs) Don't be a jerk. Don't let pride and arrogance bring natural... Some of you don't move up at work, and some of it can simply be because of who you are and how you carry yourself. Pride is a very difficult thing 
to handle, right? Because pride, don't forget, your pride runs up against other people's pride, and therefore we have conflict, right? Oh, I will stop and say that pride, it would have to be the number one reason of church downfalls, because if people will not be humble in the body of Christ, if people want to elevate themselves to a position of everything has to be done my way, there's going to be problems in the church. Pride. Pride. It has natural consequences, but there is a supernatural cost too. God eventually says, enough's enough. You aren't God, and you will be humbled, both supernatural and naturally. Here's God's words on the consequence of pride. In His own words, God says this in Proverbs 13.10, Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. That would be a good verse for a church. Where there's strife in a church, there's pride. I remember going to a pastor's meeting once and we were having a discussion about something in town and we each had our own ideas. And I'll and I, I never forget the start of the meeting. It started getting intense. These are pastors around the table and, and there, was, there was loud comments and frustrated comments and very dogmatic comments. And then one pastor said, wait, whoa, stop. I keep hearing the word I a lot. I just keep hearing the word I a lot. And if you have to start your sentence with I think, then maybe we're doing this all wrong. And we all just closed the meeting and went home. Because <laughs> we knew, let's get ourselves right here before we can deal with this. Pride. Pride, arrogance. It brings strife. The next verse, oops, going the wrong way. The next verse, Proverbs 15, 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but He sets the widow's boundary stones in place. Again, God protects the humble. In Proverbs 16, verse 5. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. See, again, pride has a supernatural cost. God will tear down the haughty and the high and the mighty like He did with Shrekinib. Shrekinib thought He was everything. He had years and years of rule and reign. Then God says, no, I will bring you low. Proverbs 16, 18-19 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share the plunder with the proud. What a hard thing though. To stay humble. Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. God's word on pride. And then there's our cure. What's the cure? What is the only hope? Well, our hope is to remember. Everybody say remember. remember. That's so great that God in His wisdom knew that we would each struggle with pride, either elevating ourselves above God or just self-reliance and not needing God. And so He reminds us of God with skin on. Jesus, when He was here, was a humble Savior. Wow, isn't that great that we have an example? How do we do this? Well, here's God's Word on the humility of Jesus. Philippians 2. 3 through 11. And I did not put this on the screen because I want you guys to be uh, using your Bibles and bringing your Bibles. I always have to fight with the people uh, at the booth because they want to put every verse on the screen. I know, I understand it's helpful and nice, but if I put every verse on the screen, eh, we, won't, uh, we won't need to use that paper thing or the electronic thing. And I want you to have your electronic thing or your paper thing. And I want you to bring it and I want you to use it, okay? So every once in a while, PD's not going to use the screen. So let me tell you on Philippians. I'm just going to read verses 3 through 8. 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And here we go. Here's the, here's the reading of the humility of Christ. Verse 6, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2. 3 through 8. It's a great passage on humility. And if Jesus came and was humble, I mean, was there anybody else that had the right to be prideful? He's God. <laughs> he is God. But when we have an example of God Himself with skin on, serving, that, that, that the thing that always blows my mind is when the Creator serves the creature. That's an amazing thing. Usually the Creator wants to be served by the creation. And in this instance, we have God, Jesus, God with skin on. He shows Himself to be humble, taking on the very form of a servant. Wow. And the Bible says we should be the same. So there's our humble cure. Remember. John 13, 11, or 1, 1 through 11, it gets even further. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5. It's not going to be on the screen. John 13, 4 and 5. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Not only did the Bible tell us in Philippians that he served others, we have a tangible moment where Jesus put the towel on his waist and he washed the disciples' dirty feet. Just the lowliest of all jobs. I mean, even the servants and slaves argued about who had to do that one. You do the feet this week. I'm not doing the feet this week. I did the feet last week. You do it. No! And there's no servant. So who, who does it? God with flesh on. Wipes the dirty feet off of his friends, his followers, his subordinates. There's remember, everybody say remember. And then there's surrender, everybody say surrender. The cure is to remember we have a humble Savior and to surrender to him. John 13, 12 through 17, we'll put that on the screen. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Foot washing, by the way, is an example. Please don't boil this down to, oh man, I got to wash somebody's feet. I got to find somebody dirty feet. I mean, you don't have to physically, literally wash people's feet. The act of servanthood, of lowering oneself, Jesus had a good, he had a good understanding of who he was. And we're not telling people to run around beating yourselves and making yourself lower than you are. We're talking about Jesus who said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, I am God. 
But I choose to lower myself. Not a position, not who I truly am, but in my position of greatness, I will humble myself and wash feet. What does that mean for you and I as Christians? Well, don't ever put yourself up above any other believer, but put all believers ahead of you and serve. 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 Take the lowly spot. I had lunch this week with Pastor Tom Donnelly. Just to let him know, I, brother in Christ, he's gone through a hard, very hard year. And he reminded me, he reminded me of, of uh, Oakwood showing up after the shooting in Oxford and just serving. And he said, to a T, none of them wanted recognition. He said, none of your people wanted people to know they were Oakwood people. They didn't even need to. They were just there as believers serving people. I remember when we came up with the plan, just go with garbage bags and, and sweep and pick up trash. That was the plan. Wow. Sometimes that's the best thing for us is to pick up a broom. Right? Pick up a broom. Serve others in humility. It's, it's the cure we can remember we have a humble Savior and then we surrender. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, 3-4, it says, For by the grace given me I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, then these members do not all have the same function. And these members do not have the same function. We're placed in a body... And we must work together and humility has to rule the day. Because if pride rules the day, then strife comes. James 4.10 Humble yourselves before the Lord and He, He will lift you up. The older I get, the less... clear um, name tags that I need. You know, I, when we were serving this past week for the Franklin Graham Gospel Crusade, when we showed up, they gave us these really cool blue vests. And they let us take them home too. It's really cool. We were working in these vests. And, and I didn't know it. Um, I was supposed to put a name tag on. So somebody made one for me, which is very kind. Um, but the person who made mine, it said, Pastor Don. You know, because you guys are great. You're very kind. I, 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 I'm thankful that for on the most part, people here try to revere me. It's got to be hard for you, but you try to, and you call me Pastor Don or PD. That's why I like PD, because it's just a little less formal, right? But it's still there, right? I got away with that for 20 years in youth ministry. The kids could call me PD, and it was still reverent, right? That, that's kind of where it all came from. Call me PD. It just kind of was... Uh, but but when, I, when I have that tag, and, and I found myself, I kept hiding it. I kept, I kept trying to, to, to cover up the word pastor, just because I wanted people just... I, they they didn't need to know as a pastor. You know, I, what about you? How do you walk through life? Do you expect to be admired or lifted up? The Bible kind of tells us to go through life and to the last will be first. The first will be last. Turn the other cheek. Pride does not win the day. 
It usually destroys the day. So with all that said, here's the warning. Just when I think we've finished off pride, just when we turn to accept the congratulation of the crowd, pride stabs us in the back. We should never consider pride dead until we are. (laughs) Benjamin Franklin said something very similar. This is perhaps... No one of our natural passions, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases, it is still alive. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. (laughs) Pride. So I preached to you today at the end of the Nahum series, we've seen what comes of a nation who refuses to surrender to God. God sent Jonah to Nineveh. He didn't want to go. He ended up getting there by way of a, well, what a, what a trip. You think your, your trip is bad. <laughs> you know, some of you had uh, planes getting canceled, right? This, this guy, man, he showed up in Nineveh, bleached from head to toe from the inside of living in a fish. Probably stank too. I can just imagine the stench. The look of this guy kind of looked like a human zombie showing up, kind of like, okay, God, you win, I'll go. And he goes into the city and he says, repent or die. There, God, I gave them the message. And they did. They all like repented. Wow. But it wasn't heartfelt and real. And so a hundred years later, Nahum writes to the same town and says, oh, you arrogant people. God's patience over all this time has been gracious to you but now the time's done and God will judge sin and Nineveh was destroyed and once again I tell you this for two reasons take comfort the word Nahum means comforter comfort take comfort in the fact that God will judge sin you don't need to set everything straight in this world God will take care of wrong and at the same time sometimes we're just as guilty of taking the same tact and tract as the people we look at in the Bible, and we th- how foolish, how foolish of that Shrekinib to think that he was greater than God. Well, how foolish is that Shrekinib to, to realize he doesn't need God, he doesn't depend on God? How f- well, well, yeah. Let the lesson be ours today. God will judge sin. Number two, make sure that yours is covered in the blood of Jesus. Remember and surrender. Amen? Remember Jesus. Surrender to His Lordship. Team, I'd have you come up and let us sing that song we always sing before we leave on a communion week. As they come, let me pray you out this morning. And then we'll hear the words and then we'll be able to be dismissed. Father, thank You. Thanks again for Your Word. The, the book of Nahum, often neglected, not looked at. We understand that it reveals your wrath against sin, but we see you also as a very patient God, giving time for people to surrender. And God, for us then, let us take that lesson and help us to remember Jesus and to surrender our lives, our our pride. Help us every day to beat down that pride that is ever present. Help us to never think we've won the battle, but to every day pick up the battle. God, help us not to build our lives on pride, but instead to help us to build it on humility and let you lift it up, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.